Hey, what's good, fam? We appreciate you tuning in to the South City Church Podcast. It's our prayer that as you hear the better story of Jesus, you might experience more of his redemptive power in every square inch of your life. Hey, we're a church plant. We benefit greatly from outside support. So if you'd like to partner with our ministry here, you can go to southcityrva.com slash give and join us in seeing strangers made family in Christ in Richmond and beyond. God bless and shalom. So good morning. It's great to worship with you uh, once again, South City Church. And so I wanted to just start, if you would consider with me, some familiar questions, maybe common questions in life. What time is it? What's the weather going to be like? What's for dinner? So common questions, familiar questions, benign questions, but then other questions maybe parents are familiar with, but then if we can remember back to our younger days, but other questions that ratchet up the significance, the importance. Why is the sky blue? How much longer is this going to take? Why is there something instead of nothing? More important questions, significant questions, maybe harder to answer questions. But then we know in life, life's experiences bring about some more serious questions, some more important questions that do come up as we go through life. How are we going to pay for this? Why did this happen? What did the doctor say? You've experienced some of those questions, maybe even this past week. Maybe you're thinking right now about getting the answer to some of those more significant questions in life. But as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see and consider the most important question that everyone who has ever breathed or stepped foot on this planet ever faces. The most important question, and there is an answer to it that we're going to consider this morning. That question being... Who can enter into God's presence? Who can enter into God's presence? So if you would look with me, we're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. If you find your copy of the scriptures, Psalms, almost the middle of our Bibles. Psalm 15 this morning asked that question. The most significant question. So as we dive into, as we're getting into Psalms, uh, just consider the, the treasure That is the collection of hymns, the collection of songs, the psalm, psalms for us. Uh, One commentator, he puts it like this about the psalms. When used rightly, they are to be sung devotionally and prayed fervently. I think we'll see today the psalms we consider definitely to be prayed fervently. They are to be taught expositionally and preached evangelistically. The primary purpose of the Psalms is its intensely God-centered focus to direct hearts towards Him in every experience of life, individually and collectively, individually and as the church to consider. So Psalms, the collection of these songs for the church, they, are, they serve us to ignite our hearts to worship, to ignite our hearts to worship, to comfort our hearts in fear. Amen to that. To cleanse our sinning hearts. To cleanse our sinning hearts. To fortify persecuted hearts. And to instruct the teachable heart. What a treasure God has given us in the Psalms. So if you would find with me Psalm 15. 
Psalm 15, where we see this most important question. And may it feed our hearts, comfort our hearts, challenge our hearts this morning. Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. And whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Uh, Pray with me once again. God, thank you for your word, its integrity, its clarity, and its power. Thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to have access to who you are and to know you through your word. I pray that we would know you better, even this morning as we consider Psalm 15. All through the power of your spirit, all through your grace. God, in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 15, again, just getting our bearings, getting the the context of our text this morning. So we see Psalm 15, so the Psalms... A collection of 150 psalms, and we see it divided into five different books. Book 1, 1 through 41, so we see Psalm 15 in this book 1. Now, it's, it's interesting, the placement of this book, so scholars say this, the book 1, the first 41 psalms, probably collected by Solomon, maybe all attributed to King David in terms of this dominating theme of sin and redemption. This dominating theme of sin and redemption in the entirety of the book, book one of Psalms. And we see it, how Psalm 15 is placed in and around Psalms that speak to sin and redemption. Psalms that speak to, in some cases, pleading with God, pleading with God to redeem and restore his people. To redeem his people from enemy rule. We see this, Psalm 13, 2, how long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It's pleading with God. Restoration, rescue, help. Psalm 17, 8 and 9. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence. My deadly enemies who surround me. So this is in the context of Psalm 15. These are the surrounding psalms. This theme, sin, this this theme, um, wanting to be set free, rescued from enemy rule and those who are doing violence against the psalmist. But then as well, this book includes psalms that rejoice in God's goodness, rejoice in God's salvation. Just a couple examples, Psalm 13, 5 and 6. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. One more, Psalm 16, 8. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be be shaken. So we know in, in our life, as far as how this is the anatomy of all parts of the soul, the Psalms, and how in our lives, maybe resonating with this, resonating with this experience of pleading to God for help, rejoicing in God for his help as we experience it and see it. So we have seasons, definitely, of sorrow, Seasons of brokenness, hard things and relationships and all sorts of life. 
But then there are also those seasons of, of praising God. It's easier to praise God in certain seasons of life, maybe success at work, success at school, uh, or rich devotional life, all many uh, experiences where praising God becomes easy. Praising God becomes something that is, is just welling, overflowing from our hearts. But then we come here to Psalm 15, and it serves as this climax, if you will, as this climax for clarity amidst all this expression, all this expression, and it serves Psalm 15 to cut to the heart, to cut to the heart of what life is all about and what life, what we should desire above all things, to walk with God, to know God, to worship God. Serves as this climax in this book of Psalms to show us what is significant in life. So if there's a title of this sermon, it would be the most important question. And that question is, who can enter into God's presence? Who can enter into God's presence? And just knowing that God desires for us, God desires for everyone to know him and enjoy him forever. We can see that truth as we enter into answering this question. God desires for us to know him and enjoy him forever. Ever. So with this question, who can enter into God's presence who can be with him for all eternity, a holy, perfect, just God, is this question settled in your life? Are you absolutely confident that you can, as you sit now, enter into God's presence if upon death or the return of Christ? Furthermore, what about those you love? What about those you know? Is this question, the most important question in life, settled for them? So let's look here as Psalms, so unique in verse 1, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? So unique in Psalms that so many, uh, if not the entirety of Scripture outside of Psalms is addressing uh, God to man. Or addressing like Ephesians is for Ephesians. Matthew is writing to Jewish Christians. All these books addressed to us, to people, and to God's people. But Psalms coming from addressing God. His people addressing him. So Psalm 1, uh, 15, 1. Oh Lord, who can sojourn in your tent? He's saying, who can exist in your presence? Who can exist in your sanctuary, in your tabernacle? Who can live where you are? So this tent refers to the sacred tent or the tabernacle, tabernacle as we know, was established by Moses. David establishes it in Jerusalem, this special place on God's holy hill where his, his presence is felt his presence is truly inhabiting. So this place of, of sacrifice, this place of worship, this place of, of the corporate body coming together and experiencing the actual presence of God is what we see in the Old Testament example of God's tent, God's where his presence dwells. So he's present with his people. He sojourns or dwells there. He's the divinely welcomed guest in God's house. And Psalm 65, 4 speaks to this uh, dwelling of God where he resides. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We sang about it. We sang uh, just now about uh, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 65, 4 goes on, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. This is the purpose 
for which God made, again, everyone who's ever breathed, everyone who's walked on the earth. The purpose of life is to dwell in his presence, to know him. Um, The New City Catechism is a relatively uh, new way to learn doctrine. It's a great gift, I think, for the church and for families. This may be bad parenting advice, but when my uh, daughters were younger, we would pay them in the summers to memorize like parts of the New City Catechism. But I do remember the first question, the first question for learning doctrine, the essential doctrine, what is our only hope in life and in death? It is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. We are meant, we are created to be with God and to be in his presence. All throughout the scriptures, it speaks about this purpose for which we exist, the purpose for which we were created. Isaiah 43, 7 really brings it into, uh, really clears it up. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You were made, I was made to bring glory to God. So we can trace it all the way back to the creation account in Genesis. I know you've been walking through the blueprints of life and and a study of Genesis. So God making man in his own image in Genesis and giving him likeness, giving him dominion over the rest of creation. And he, he blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. So this, this setting pre-fall, this setting originally for creation, uh, unspeakably perfection, unspeakable perfection and perfect fellowship with God being in his presence was the intended original plan and purpose for man living in perfect peace and a perfect relationship. So we have to understand, first of all, as we address this most important question, who can be in God's presence? We have to understand we were created to be in right relationship with God. We were created to be in his presence. So for us, again, as we sit, as we stand here, are we fulfilling that purpose? Are we fulfilling that purpose? I drove here in, in my, my daughter's car. I've had a girl, uh, my oldest daughter recently started driving and uh, it's brought all sorts of new anxieties for me. But nonetheless, her car was uh, given to her and it was created for the purpose of, of transporting people, driving around, maybe efficiently, quickly. It's for transportation, uh, giving us autonomy, maybe in transportation, the purpose of a car If the car just sits there, if the car uh, is not running, it's not uh, creating or fulfilling the purpose for which created, if it remains just parked all the time. So the question is, we know if we know our purpose, our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to be in right relationship with God. So how do we fulfill that purpose? How do we fulfill the purpose of being in the presence of God, having fellowship with God? J.I. Packer in his great book, Knowing God, once he says this, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. How can we dwell in God's presence? How can we dwell in God's presence forever? How can we know God now? And then we get to the rest of the Psalms. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. So look at the description here of the one who can enter into God's holy sanctuary. Look at the description of who can enter into God's perfect presence and have perfect 
relationship with him. Those who obey all God's commands walk blamelessly. Those who have the truth in their heart and they speak about it. The one who does not gossip about another, not gossip about another, bringing them uh, defaming people, making them be uh, others be thought differently in the eyes of others, bringing others low. The one who does not do that. If you see there, the one who does not take nor takes up a reproach against his friend reproach in the Hebrew meaning to strip the one who does not strip a reputation from another against his friend gossip does not gossip the one who views the wicked accurately gives thanksgiving to those who are faithful to God keeps his promises even when it's uncomfortable promises are kept Integrity, honesty, generous, not greedy, not a liar. So think about the contrast of it. So we see the description of the one who can enter into God's presence. Think about the contrast. Think about the contrast. The one who cannot have fellowship with God, the one who cannot enter into God's perfect presence, is the one who does not delight in doing, the one who does delight in doing what he wants. The one whose heart desires what is contrary to God's ways. The contrast of it is the one who turns away from being trustworthy or keeping his or her word because it's uncomfortable. It's too hard to be honest and keep our word. The one who takes advantage of or gets a financial edge for prosperity at another's expense. That's the contrast of the one who can enter into God's presence. The one whose heart is not ruled by God. The one whose heart is not ruled by God, so he speaks ill of others. He's selfish and patient, wants to be the center of attention. My first job was teaching ninth grade world geography in Madisonville, Texas. So remember being a freshman? I remember we had block scheduling, so it was an hour and 15 minutes or 25 minutes uh, with a class. And I remember my last class of the day as a new teacher, these three boys were in there. And I'll just put it lightly, there were headaches. They would cut up together. When they got together, it was bad news. And I just dreaded that class. I dreaded it every day. They really made my first year rough. But it was interesting. It was kind of a full circle moment for me because I realized I, I sat in their place. When I was in a freshman or, a high, or in high school, I know, man, I probably got with my friends. And I can remember aggravating teachers and just just that same effect, having the same effect as those knuckleheads had on me that I know I had as a ninth grader in class. A full circle moment, realizing that it's kind of a mirror of this is how I behaved and probably the, the pain and frustration I caused teachers when I was in that stage of life. So think about the perspective of seeing your sin, seeing your sin like past sins or present sins, in another one, maybe a full circle moment. So being the one affected by someone else's uh, character flaws that are, that are actually true of my own character or, or were true of my own character. So that's true of this Psalms. That is true of Psalm 15. The intended effect for the original reader and the intended effect for the contemporary reader is to bring conviction, is to bring us low. So some scholars believe that this psalm served as an entrance liturgy, that as worshipers came into the holy place, 
that they, the, the priests, the ones who would allow them to enter would try to discern, you know, their hearts and see, is this true of them? In ancient Near Eastern cultures, cultic practices, they had more external entrance requirements to be able to attend uh, these pagan worship rituals or wherever the holy place was for pagan uh, cults. And they would be able to know, like, are you wearing a certain thing or do you, do you have this certain appearance? But thinking of this as an entrance liturgy is, is a stretch because these are our heart, all heart issues that can't be easily discerned. And we know people could answer, you know, dishonestly if they're asked these questions. These are matters of the heart. So for us, does our heart match these qualities? Again, this is the most important question to be able to fulfill the intended purpose for which we are created, to be, have perfect peace and fellowship with God. Does your heart match these qualities? We'll just say this, raise your hand if your heart matches these qualities. The original reader and for us, the intended purpose is to bring us low, to bring conviction. The Bible has a word for this. It's called woe, W-O-E. Woe to us. Woe to the one who cannot enter into God's presence. Woe to the one whose walk is not blameless. Woe to the one who has no integrity or is dishonest. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus addresses those who are unrepentant and those who are sinful. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, woe to you. Woe in the Bible, meaning anguish, trouble. Jesus uses it as a proclamation of divine judgment. For sin and hypocrisy, we see it in, in Revelation. There's uh, three woes before the second coming of Christ. Job understood that sin leads to woe. If I'm guilty, he says, woe to me. And in light of, in light of Psalms 15, most important question, woe is me. And in this, we see the way to avoid woe to avoid divine judgment, to avoid not being able to enter into God's presence. We see the way to avoid it, to be forgiven, to be forgiven. So while this Psalms is intended to bring us low, it's also intended to cause us to look up, to look up, to raise our eyes to the heavens. The he in the Psalms, he who walks blamelessly, and does what is right. He who does these things shall never be moved. The he here is Jesus. The psalm points to the Messiah who was to come for the original reader, the one who for us we know lived out the two greatest commandments, walked, purpose, uh, walked blamelessly, commanded, obeying all the commands of God. We know the one who lived out loving God and loving people perfectly, it's the summary of his pure, his blameless heart described here. Uh, Paul Tripp, pastor, author, he puts it like this. He, Jesus, kept the promise and he would not turn from it even unto death. Jesus is described here. This is the one. He would not be bought or bribed even though he was offered the kingdoms of the earth. That's Jesus. It's not me. It's not you. So the teaching for us is we are not right with God 
And we can never on our own strength earn peace with him. There's nothing we can do to earn his favor, to earn the right to be in his perfect presence. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul clarifies it well. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So only because of Jesus can we fulfill what is needed to be in God's presence. Only in Jesus can Psalm 15 actually be true of us because we're credited, we're given his perfection. We're given his righteousness through faith and by grace. So only Jesus living out this perfect righteousness, this perfect description here in Psalm 15 at every turn, catch that, at every turn, in our place that he could make a way for us to sojourn in his tent, to dwell in his holy hill. What a wonderful, precious gift we have, the treasure of Christ that we have. And then verse five, he who does these things shall never be moved. So the one who does these things is eternally secure and consistent in holiness. So we don't measure up to the standard. No, we don't. We can't answer this question according to this criteria. I will. Remember, we we already said, raise your hand. I can't raise my hand. So we have to be forgiven for this. Now, hear me say it's not okay. It's not okay that we can't raise our hand. That's the biggest problem we have is sin. It's not okay that we could not raise our hand, but we must have someone, must have someone, the description here, to do this for us to live this life for us and we can trust in him and we can have assurance. We can have assurance of being in God's presence. It's the most important question in life and there's only one right answer. It's the most important question. Who can enter into God's presence? There's only one right answer. What a precious answer. What a great answer is because of Jesus that we can Believe on him and be credited with his perfection at every turn, his turn, his blamelessness at every turn. Think about it. God came down and he walked blamelessly over 2000 years ago on this earth for 33 years. And then he went to the cross and he died at the hands of men during a time when the most torturous, most devious, worst way to die in the history of the world was happening. They were dreaming up schemes of torture and death that the world had never seen, and that's who, that's when Jesus came. That's when he walked, and he went and hung on the cross and took God the Father's wrath, took his perfect good judgment against sin, his holy hatred against all things evil, his holy hatred against the contrast of Psalm 15. Jesus took that powerful pain, that we deserved. He took it, the, the, he lived the life that we couldn't live and took the penalty that we deserved in our place. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, proving once and for all the price had been paid. Sin and death are conquered. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness and we can dwell secure, securely because of Christ. Isaiah 53, 5-6, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. So we have peace and we are healed through Christ because of Christ. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a treasure we have in Jesus. So what about this? Most important question. So what about this most precious answer for us? It's a good question to ask when we're maybe studying the Bible or or consider a truth from Scripture. Well, so what? Now what? It's good to rightly worship God because of this truth, understanding that, yes, it is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone that we are forgiven. And we have this assurance of ultimate salvation. It's, It's wonderful. We can live content and find joy in that and treasure that right now. But then also, what about the present? What about our our lives now? Yes, we anticipate when it is realized being in God's presence. But what about the, the present life? So understand this psalm is not just intended to bring us low. It's not just intended to cause us to look up to the heavens for help. But it's a call for us to look around and to live out our faith in a way that brings glory to God. So remember uh, the catechism for how and why did God create us? That's in the New City Catechism as well. This question, how and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to know him, to love him, to live with him, to glorify him. And it's right that we who are created by God should live for his glory. Again, our intended purpose right now is to bring glory to God, to shine a light on his beauty, his perfection and his goodness. And Titus 2 clarifies it for us, what that means for us in the present. For the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to say no to the world, one of ungodliness and faithfulness, and to live uh, faithful and upright and godly lives right now in this present age. So it's not legalism. Legalism is thinking like we can do something and that will earn us favor with God. It's not legalism. But think of the question, what did you treasure this week? What did you treasure this morning? What did you watch? What did you listen to? Who did you relate to? What words came out of your mouth this week? So I encourage you this week, in addition to thinking of praying fervently, Psalm 15, praising God for it and desiring that through His grace our lives would reflect this life of integrity, this life of holiness that points to our great God and King, but also 2 Peter chapter 1 connects the reality of this most important question. I'm just going to mention one part, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5. His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We can know God. And in knowing God, we are equipped for all things we need for life and godliness right now. Peter goes on, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So we can, yes, put to death sin right now. In our struggle with sin, we have one who can allow us to have victory over sin by faith, by grace, moment by moment, day by day. And then verse five, for this very reason, make every effort 
to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue and knowledge. So a, a quote I've heard, it's, it's, it's served me well thinking about the reality of grace presently, the reality of grace that's not just only the future glory we're going to have being in God's presence when it's realized is this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So there is effort for us to strive for holiness. The command of God is to be holy as he is holy. And the power of the Holy Spirit gives us that capacity, gives us the capacity to increase consistently, progressively in holiness and conformity to Christ. That's God's grace to us. Yes, it feels like effort. It feels like us wanting to. It feels like us doing things. That's God's grace in us that we would ever want. Not what's in the world, but want him above all things. So the gospel it de definitely answers the question of who will remain with God. The gospel calls us to walk blamelessly and to do what is right. Again, singing, praying fervently, Psalm 15 yearning to have these qualities more and more, enjoying being his image bearer, being the one and, and fulfilling the purpose for which we were created to bring glory to him in our lives. So with this morning, maybe a response to this most important question this morning, if there's a response, do you have absolute assurance? Do you have absolute assurance that upon death, or upon Christ's return, you will dwell in God's presence for eternity. And it's all through faith alone in Christ alone. His perfection given for our peace. Do you have absolute certainty of that this morning? Then thinking again, this most important question is for us to consider as we come to Psalm 15. Can you think of others in your lives? Neighbors, co-workers, who you're going to interact with maybe even tomorrow. Maybe there's a family member that you're going to interact with later today. Is the question settled in their lives? That they, through the blood of Christ, can be brought in to perfect peace and fellowship with the God of the universe. Would God use us as his means, as his means of sharing and showing the love of Christ to people? If there is not absolute assurance for you, please don't walk out of here if you're not absolutely certain. And then as we go about our weeks from here, asking that question and thinking of others, thinking of others, had they settled it in their lives? Pray with me. God, your perfect plan and your power allow us to be in your presence and to consider the most significant thing in life of having peace with you, having the biggest problem in life, sin being dealt with once and for all through the blood of Jesus. Lord, thank you for that reality. So I just pray that for everyone in this place this morning, that that question would maybe weigh heavy on hearts weigh heavy on hearts for the intended purpose of bringing about greater conformity to Jesus, for the purpose of bringing about repentance and belief, and then for those that we have that you've placed in our lives, Lord, that this truth would be for them 
and you would use us as your means of grace to people consistently and purposefully and all for your glory and for our joy. And I pray that in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.